0: Coming up on Leading Edge. You know, we can't actually make the complex simple, but I think we can talk about it more straightforwardly and encourage leaders to really engage with that dynamic patterning and notice what's changing, interpret, and then choose their response. This is Leading Edge, a Henley Business School podcast.
1: Welcome to Leading Edge from Henley Business School. I'm Thomas Mason. In this third series, we're discussing topics as varied as when to hit the off switch if you're suffering from techno stress. Is green finance the new black? And how the pandemic has caused a great reset in customer expectations. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Sharon Varney, who's the director of the Henley Forum, which brings together professionals to help create dynamic organisations. Sharon's worked in senior learning and development roles, as varied as in the offshore oil and gas business, Thompson Holidays, and as a US bank. And she also has a new book out. It's called Leadership in Complexity and Change for a World in Constant Motion. I tell you this less for the gratuitous plug and more to explain why we've chosen today's topic slow down to change faster. Sharon, a very warm welcome. Thank
0: you very much, Thomas. Delighted to be here today.
1: Uh, now, Sharon, on this book, if I've got it right, the premise, it's that complexity and constant change are not going anywhere. And the coronavirus virus has, has it certainly shown us that, hasn't it? Uh, and if we want to navigate a path through complexity and change and actually create any meaningful or helpful change in the world ourselves, then what you have, your new insight, is this whole new toolkit and, and mindset we we need to adopt really to deal with it, and there is one tool that's quite fashionable at the moment in management circles. Our listeners may may have heard it. It's called VUCA, uh, spelt V U. CA quite a management buzzword Uh, it stands for volatility uncertainty complexity and ambiguity uh, that describes some of something about the changing world Uh, so Sharon if you could just take us through that concept then VUCA just just define it and set it out a bit more uh, and give us a sense of how helpful that is to understand the change state of change in the world
0: yeah you are absolutely right I think VUCA is is quite a buzzword um, and you know the the V in VUCA as you said stands for for volatility and what that means is that everything is changing all at once so if you like change is the the only constant that that we have the U in VUCA is uncertainty, and because everything is changing, uh, what that means is that today is different to to yesterday. Tomorrow is going to be different uh, again, and the implication of that is information is always incomplete, and whatever happens is never fully predictable. So that brings us to C for complexity. It's a word that scares people, but but simply put, complexity means that things are entangled. And being connected tends to create ripple effects across different areas. So we get unintended consequences, surprises, if you like. So nice surprises and sometimes less nice surprises. And then that A is ambiguity. So we're in a world of unknown unknowns where it's much harder to reach clarity and agreement about the meaning of events. And and VUCA is a bit of a buzzword, but people tell me over and over again that it's a really good description of their reality for leadership. It's not new, but I I guess that the the pandemic has made it even more obvious that we're, we're working in this VUCA world.
1: And also, I think an interesting point about the pandemic, isn't it, Sharon, is that there's not one person with all the answers. So we've got the chief medical officer, Professor Chris Whitty. We've seen him popping up. He can advise, you know, what to do on pure health grounds. But he can't decide how to make the appropriate trade-offs so we don't end up crashing the economy. Uh, and that's a political decision, really, isn't it? A judgment for the prime minister or, or the chancellor. So you know, in a world with incomplete information and not everybody having all the information, that that seems a, a perfect example, really, uh, of the VUCA world you describe.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, this is this is normal life now, and this is this is what we're trying to to engage with. But I think your, your analogy brings it to life really well. And um, there's, there's quite a few things going on there. So, you know, you mentioned the uncertainty of, of the situation. And, you know, what that means is that the future effects of decisions that are being made in the here and now by politicians, by medical professionals, by ourselves, by everybody, the effects of those decisions that we're making and the actions that we're taking are at this moment unknowable. What we do know is that they may well create ripple effects across society, the economy and and, and further. So, so the things that people are saying and doing right now are really important because what we're doing is we are changing the future in the here and now. And because you know, of the, the complexity conundrum where there's too much going on to ever take it all in and things are so connected that we can never safely leave anything um, out of the picture. We're, we're always acting with incomplete information in this this changing world.
1: Yeah, it's a bit of a kind of radar then, isn't it? We're developing around us a more sophisticated set of tools and indicators. And uh, I mean, I, and I suppose, and then not being frightened by it uh, I know mean, if suddenly you or I were thrown into a plane and we had a massive dashboard, uh, you know, we we'd be we'd be terrified about what all those indicators meant. Uh, and the and then the alternative might be you go on autopilot and you and you just expect to be thrown along with it. Like well, I guess your your approach is somewhere in the middle that we we bring in some new things into our into our dashboard, but we we think quite carefully about how we respond to them.
0: Yeah and you know I think I think expertise is is important so it's not going to tell us the the answers but you know I'd rather Rely on somebody who knew how to fly a plane rather than have a go myself and you know <laughs> learn as, as we go and I'm sure any other passenger and crew would also, also prefer that. So, I think what we've got with um, medical professionals and economists and politicians and you know other people getting together is you know we, we're bringing together a lot of different expertise, which is really important because people see different things in different ways, different aspects, if you like, of our complex and ever-changing reality. But but the challenge I think is is being able to listen to the differences um, rather than ironing out to create more nuanced responses to those multiple factors. So we're not trading off health, economics and and so forth. So so rather than trade-offs, I like to think about balancing competing okay. demands. And it's a really active process of of leadership. So we're learning what's changing in the here and now in order to, to to adapt. And that means that we're not trying to choose between health, societal, economic and ec- ecological needs, for example. We're trying to get an active balance between them because they all matter.
1: Yeah, you use that phrase quite a lot, don't you, the here and now. So is, is this a sense that you can plan to a certain extent, but it only gets you so far and actually this and this is kind of the slowing down bit isn't it yeah
0: yeah absolutely so the the way I like to think about the, the here and now is to try and be at the leading edge of the here and now so kind of you know we can't we can't see the future because it's it's not happened yet we can't predict it because it's it's not predictable but we can see some of the seeds of the the future emerging in the here and now so let's pay attention to 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 that that leading edge and i think human beings are absolutely the best machines for 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 doing that because we're we're able to pick up lots of signals about what's changing Uh,
1: and then if you look at the 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 pandemic we've all had to pull together as a country as a world there's been some extraordinary innovation in the science world creating vaccines Uh, if we reflect on this in five years time or in 10 years time can we bottle some of what we actually got right in the pandemic and and say right well that there's there's a quite nuanced but quite impressive way to respond to a pandemic the next time round.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I think we're already doing it. So a really good example that a lot of people can relate to is this working from home. So in 2020, some millions of knowledge workers around the world suddenly found themselves working from home. Lots of people were ill-equipped and they were facing multiple pressures in their, their everyday lives. And of course, there was no manual. There was no model for this. And people worked it out by coordinating amongst themselves making lots and lots and lots of adjustments to to what they were doing from flexing work times to using ironing boards as makeshift desks
1: I've heard a few but a few of those
0: (laughs) it's an astonishing achievement when you think about it and and yet we take it for, for for granted so so we actually need to bottle what we're already doing and it's just that we don't notice it normally
1: yeah, and it's I suppose it's that change doesn't happen all all at once either. So whilst the pandemic may seem on one level very scary and very uncertain, some of the individual steps that we took were were actually a bit more familiar than we thought. So when, you know, when we switched to working uh, on a Zoom call or something, you know, we already had the laptop, we already had the uh, bit of software, we might have tried it, but it was kind of feeling our way through step by step. Some of it was scary, some of it was was normal.
0: Yeah and you know we knew how to have a conversation you know we weren't we weren't starting everything from from scratch so you know the tools may have been new they may have been been unfamiliar but we we did know how to talk to one another that was a really helpful start
1: and you're a, a self-declared complexity scientist, which, you know, yeah, as you say, the, the world is complex. And I'm, I'm sure, because of the research that go, goes into your book, some of it must have been quite scientific. But to try and visualise it for some of our listeners. You know, is there a way we can see your complexity science so that it makes sense and we can visualise it, rather than just thinking about that being thrust into the cockpit of a plane and having a load of indicators that we haven't got a clue what, what they mean? and there's, <laughs> there's nothing we can do, isn't
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely and I think you're you're right I mean yeah, the word complexity and and even the word science can scare people a bit so the the analogy that I tend to use to to bring it to life is um the idea of a murmuration I don't know have you see you? do you know what I'm talking about uh Thomas have you seen one of a these
1: murmuration. things murmuration I think what is this to do with with birds
0: absolutely absolutely so large groups of of starlings very very large sometimes so thousands tens of thousands sometimes a million or more starlings and um they they before they roost for for the evening at certain times of the year they they congregate and they flock together over their their roosting site and what you get is these amazing patterns they twist and turn and swoop and and swirl across the sky it's beautiful shape-shifting clouds it's it's incredible to watch um, and if you haven't seen it in real life then do, do go on YouTube there's some great videos and um, on there. The thing about the patterning of the the murmuration is it's never the same twice. And why is that? What's going on is the, the, the individual birds are adapting to the other birds immediately around them. They're, they're staying close. Um, they're avoiding collisions. Um, and they're also adapting to changing air currents and weather conditions. If a, if a hawk appears or another predator, um, they, they adapt to that and also to, to, to the landscape. And that is what creates those amazing changing patterns you know there's no leader starling coordinating those those changes you know that's an absolute that's an absolute nonsense (laughs) so it's the individual birds and they are all of those numerous interactions is what's creating that that pattern it's quite amazing
1: so actually and so this on one sense this all sounds quite complex but you think there are some lessons from dynamic patterning for leadership then
0: yeah, there, there's something very similar that's happening in the working world and um, we're not literally flying around, even though uh, it might feel like we are from from time to time. But we are constantly adapting and responding to the people around us. You know, we do this in conversations, through emails, how we react to to announcements and and events. So what that means is, organisational life really is an ongoing process of of changing, and that's that's why I refer to it as dynamic pattern as you've already already said, because I think it's a good way to think about what's actually going, going on. And I think it often surprises people to think that delivering business as usual, whatever that happens to be in your world, is a process of changing. But it is. And it's all those little changes that everybody's making in the day-to-day that help us either to stay on course or to, to change course.
1: And then when we think about how we change things, you've talked about organisations. What they often try and do is something called change management. And there's a change management project. But I gather you were a bit sceptical about whether that's the right way to approach these things.
0: Yeah, you know, this this world of dynamic patterning is all about loops not not lines and so all our words and actions get get caught up in in that and and i think that's why even the best planned change projects often take unexpected twists and turns
1: and have you seen many of these in your working life examples you can give us
0: yeah, I mean, you know, normally people tell you about all the change projects that go wrong. I think we've all all experienced those. Um well, one that sticks in 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 my mind was a very well-intentioned project in a an NHS trust where they wanted to bring in a, a fairer and more transparent policy for who got to park on on site because it developed over the years through custom and practice and you know who knew who and of course they did deliver that that parking policy but it got really entangled with how people felt about their position in the organization and um, it just brought this you know huge reaction in terms of they don't care about us and i think it just brings to life the the, this idea that you know change management programs they always got costs you know emotional and and economic and only sometimes they've got got benefits and I think that was a that was a good example where it 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 had unintended consequences that that weren't great at all
1: so do you think there's a better way then to manage how to change things than than calling it a change management project
0: yeah, I think you know, stop trying to manage change and uh, find ways to engage with the change that's already happening. Because you know, lots of people are under pressure to go go faster and faster, but but speed is never going to be able to keep up with um, the VUCA world, because it's it's the wrong response, and we often end up going round in 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 circles. And again, a, a An example that really stuck in my mind was the HR manager from a local authority who talked about continually reorganizing the reorgs. (laughs) So, you know, imagine that, you know, it's not working. What are we going to do? We're going to reorganize that's not working what are we going to do we're going to reorganize again that's not working what are we going to do you see what I mean you get stuck in this speed you go round and round in in circles because you're not coping with the complexity
1: right and, and you slow down um, I get I get that and then what what do you do what do you do next what, what steps can we take
0: yeah, you, you absolutely need to slow down, down your thinking. And it's avoiding this kind of Pavlovian stimulus response. Let's just do another, another reorganisation. So, so the steps are, we've got to start by noticing what's changing if we get caught up in doing all the time, we're going to miss the vital signs in that dynamic patterning. And, you know, another problem with, with, with managing change is, you know, we really focus on, on the bit we're managing. And that makes it more likely that we're going to miss the vital signs of what's changing beyond our, our narrow view. It's like putting blinkers on, actually. And it's so common, it's even got a name. It's called inattentional blindness.
1: Blimey! Say say that again. What what's inattentional blindness?
0: Inattentional blindness. Again, there's a lovely video that will will bring it to to life. It's called the invisible gorilla experiment I've given the punchline away um, but it's it's a case that people don't notice things when they're looking for something else so this if you haven't seen it is a basketball game with uh, some players in white shirts some players in black shirts you're asked to count the number of passes and while you're doing that 50% of people miss the full-size person in the gorilla costume walking through the middle of that that picture that's inattentional blindness
1: before all our listeners uh, head off to youtube then you you think there's a few a few bad habits that we need to think about trying to break
0: yeah absolutely so i think you know if we want to notice what's changing we've got to break the habit of assuming that familiar patterns are the same they're not the same they are continuously changing just like that starling murmuration so, we've got to start by noticing what's changing, what's new, what's different, what's surprising or puzzling or unexpected. And, you know, how are familiar patterns not quite the same? You know, anything that's not quite is quite interesting um, in, in in this world.
1: Right. So, what are, what are we looking for then in a pattern?
0: Yeah, well, you know, one of the patterns that, that um, many people are noticing is people attending more meetings and ever more meetings and you know when we're working virtually meeting times are often compressed so there's no gaps between meetings there's no gaps in the in the meetings so there's no time to prepare no time for reflection no space for learning all of that is being being squeezed out and i guess meetings end up being less productive than they could be so we end up having even more meetings to compensate for having less productive meetings and you know this has become so common over the last several months there's even a name for it you know we call it zoom fatigue but it's got very little to do with zoom or any other software for that matter it's all to do with all kinds of human factors that that are you know encouraging us to have these back-to-back full-on meetings
1: right so break the the bad habit of lining them all up I think you say there's there's no gaps and the camera's all always on I've noticed one one thing people seem to be doing to try and and break back against that is actually turning the camera off sometimes
0: well, maybe maybe that's that's one response and I think you know it, it's about having a number of responses so before we jump into what do we do about it you know, we want to, to break the habit of jumping to, to conclusions. So I've seen that before. I know what it, what it means. So the second thing we want to do is make some interpretations. So notice is step one, interpret is, is step two. Say, what's actually going on here? What might it mean? What else might it mean? What are the emerging issues and, and opportunities? And rather than sort of trying to make too much sense, it's holding multiple interpretations, holding them lightly so we can learn as, 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 as we go. Um, and I was working with a government department who um, they, they did that really nicely, actually. They explored the failures of all their change projects ahead of time it's called a pre-mortem so they ended up with a much <laughs> better understanding of what success and lack of success might might be like and they used that more nuanced understanding to develop more nuanced ways forward so that's the second habit so break the habit of jumping to conclusions and try and develop multiple interpretations learn as you go and then the third habit we've got to break is that one that we've already talked about—that about leaping into action. Um, so rather than thinking, "Okay, that's happened," I do this—is actually thinking about, "So what are the options that are available right here, right now, as a as as a first step?" So if we go back to the meetings example, lot, lots of companies have put in um, a kind of no meeting lunch hour um, as a as a meeting free free zone but there's other ways to do it and I think we need to try these different different things so I've been designing reflection time and breaks into scheduled meetings so if you if you come to one of my meetings there'll be reflection time in there that is is not taken up in the in the meeting and I think even you know maybe even scheduling things like non-meeting slots where a group of colleagues all work on something at the same time but in different places so that when they come together, they're actually their thinking's in the same same headspace rather than kind of coming from all different, different angles on it. So, so be, be creative, be adaptable. And the, 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 the important thing is to choose our response rather than just doing what we always do.
1: I like that, the non-meeting slot, because it, often it's just very easy, isn't it, to f- fill the air in a meeting. You feel that somebody's got to be talking because everyone's there, the camera's on, you know, we've just got to keep going. When actually, as you say, we could just say, well, let's all just focus for a half an hour, an hour on a really difficult problem, and come together at the end. Uh, so avoid slowing down to... Pre-mortems, another interesting one. Uh, it can help us to avoid having to keep reorganising the reorg, as you say. It's something to avoid if we break some of those habits. Uh, and can you think then, Sharon, about a time when an organisation really did this well and got change right?
0: that happens a lot too. It's not all bad news stories. It's just those are the ones that people tell. So, you know, the the example that that I wanted to to share is um, Susan, who works in a non-departmental public body. So she was Bringing in, tasked with bringing in a new piece of software, so Microsoft Office 365. So this was a little, little while ago, and you know one of the things that Susan did was quite conventional. She appointed thirty change champions around the the, the business, and that's quite common. But what she did that was was different. She she used them as a listening network, a noticing network. So she invited them to really notice what was changing in their own parts of the the organization. And they came together and they shared that. And and what that enabled them to do was then rather than sort of pushing this software out and everybody loves that, don't they? They they were able to understand what the challenges people were having in their local local context. They were able to kind of you know tweak the messages and offer different ways that people could could use that. So so the change was pulled rather than than pushed. So you know there was there was communication and and, and collaboration. But but I think I liked what Susan talked about. She she talked about absorbing the complexity in order to match the complexity, and you know the science would absolutely support her her approach there.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? When you know you can spend some time, if maybe if you're writing an article, you know you spend a lot of time researching, finding out what's going on in the world, and it, and to start off with, it all looks incredibly difficult, and then actually. You've then got to do something with that information, and and I suppose one way of thinking about it is trying to get into a state of flow, and uh, your idea of, kind of going with the flow, and and that's and, and back to your kind of starling flocking murmurations, it very much lo- looks like they're all in the flow because at that, at that point they're all communicating with each other, and there is a clear goal, and suddenly. What seems complex is actually more simple.
0: Uh, You know, we can't actually make the complex simple, but I think we can talk about it more straightforwardly, which is what I hope we've been doing this afternoon. And encourage leaders to to really engage with that dynamic patterning and notice what's changing, interpret and then choose their response to to nudge it in, in one way or another.
1: So if we go back to our title then slow down to change fast I suppose what we're learning there is that actually rushing in to impose change is usually a mistake it's better to start cautiously if you like get a sense of the group sentiment to, to listen properly work collaboratively uh, as you've made the point you know acknowledge that one person doesn't have all the answers so actually you have to communicate and if you do all that successfully then you might actually achieve it you might get positive lasting change and it, and it's come about as a result of having slowed down it comes about a lot quicker and faster as a result and that is a pretty impressive impressive thing if you can achieve it in practice
0: yeah and people do achieve it in in practice it's just they don't necessarily call it change it feels easier it feels like you're in the in the flow it's a lot less painful and uh, you know why wouldn't you
1: Great. Well, we've very much been in the flow for about the last half an hour or so. And now to think about some questions we're asking everyone on this Series 3 of Leading Edge. It's As we enter the new normal, and as you you said, we don't quite know what that's going to be. But thinking back to your time during the pandemic or perhaps working from home, uh, is there one thing that you've discovered, a little power user tip you can share with us all that you're going to keep doing uh, and one thing you can't wait to stop doing?
0: Yeah, you can probably guess the one I'm gonna gonna stop. So so let's start with let's start with that um, that kind of no gaps between meetings. I think you know we often need an hour of reflection to absorb content and an insight. You in know how could how could we do that? So so building in reflection time in in meetings. What one thing I've really liked though is um, being able to connect internationally so I always liked a virtual coffee but now everybody's up for it so it's really nice to be able to, to to reach out have conversations and and with people that you wouldn't have been able to to talk to a virtual coffee's lovely it's 15-20 minutes everyone's up for it especially if there's cake
1: yeah absolutely cake and also so mind that gap so perhaps in the gap we can, we can have some, we can, get, we can go and get some cake and put the kettle on.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. It'd be, be nice to pay attention to the body as well as the mind, wouldn't it?
1: Right, well, we certainly paid attention to the mind today. And hopefully, even if we haven't made the complex simple for people, we have given leaders some tools and a bit of a mindset uh, to understand how they can think about complexity in a, in a more straightforward way. It's been a really fascinating conversation. Dr. Sharon Varney, Director of the Henley Forum. Thanks ever so much for joining us here on Leading Edge.
0: Thank you so much. Leading Edge is a Henley Business School podcast. This episode was written and presented by Thomas Mason. Visit hly.ac leadingedge for more.